Turn in your Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter number 4. I told Bev on the way over here, and as I mentioned this morning, I what I wanted to speak about tonight, but on the way over I said, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure exactly what I'm going to say. I just know... I just know what I want to talk about, and in light of the fact that we're just starting a study on the subject of the church, this last week, this uh, th- this was on my heart, and uh, I thought this would be an ideal time uh, to get started on this series by thinking about uh, this subject, and as I said this morning, uh, it, I, I guess if I had a title for the message, it would simply be "Your Gifts Are Not for You." Now, that's probably confusing to someone, no doubt, because uh, we generally think about our gift as being our property and to be used for our pleasure. If you walk up here and say, "Here, I've got a gift for you," and give me a hundred-dollar bill, I'm going to assume, "Okay, that's mine." Now I can go do with it whatever I want to do with it. Well. If you're talking about a Christmas gift or a birthday gift, that's true. But when it comes to the matter of spiritual gifts, it's not true. And uh, although the message tonight is uh, about the use of spiritual gifts, the first thing I want to do is to tell you I'm not going to talk about them. That is the spiritual gifts. And, and I say that because that is exactly what a lot of people would like to hear. Uh, we live in a world today where uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of confusion, a lot of debate about spiritual gifts. What one uh, continue to this day? There are those that, uh, that believe, uh, those associated with the charismatic movement, for example, believe that all of the spiritual gifts are in play today. And uh, we Baptists do not believe that. Uh, uh, most, even most Protestants do not believe that. And so there is a lot of confusion and a lot of debate uh, about this matter. And I, I don't want to get off into that. Not, not that it's not important, but I don't want it to distract from the point I'm trying to make tonight. And uh, I simply tonight want us to understand that God has gifted us, each one, in some way, and that gift is to be used for His glory and uh, His church. And so if I could just sum it all up into one brief statement regarding what I want to get across tonight, it would be that all believers possess some gift, but no believer possesses all of the gifts. Every believer, I don't care who you are, whether you realize it or not, it might be you've never discovered what your particular gift is. But every believer is gifted in some way, but no believer has all of the spiritual gifts. The question is, what do you do with your gift? And I'm afraid a lot of people miss the point in that they assume that it is for self rather than for service. And uh, sometimes, you know, you you, you can almost tell that's the way they feel whenever they are 
you know, those that are highly offended if they don't get the appreciation that they think they deserve and what have you. And, uh, well, you know, it goes back to the question, why are you doing what you're doing? If we're doing what we're doing for the glory of God, what difference does it make whether we get any credit for it? Because it's not about us. It's all about Him. We're going to start out in Ephesians chapter 4 and begin in verse number 7 down through verse 16. And then we'll, we'll jump around some other verses. Verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace. Aren't you glad? Every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that also he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, and he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things." And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, it's very clear what uh, Paul says there, and there's really not any need in me trying to elaborate uh, on those remarks. I realize there are some things there that, you know, you might wonder about, uh, where it's talking about the Lord descending into the lower part of the earth, and we could have a big discussion about that. And uh, there have been some preachers that have preached some very dramatic messages about the day Jesus went to hell and things of that nature. And so we could get sidetracked on a lot of different issues that are mentioned there. We could even get sidetracked whenever it comes to uh, the, the, the particular gift he gave some apostles, for example, and prophets, and, and uh, we could talk about the ministry of each and every one of them. And, of course, there are those that believe today that, that the office of apostles is still existent. In fact, there are those that refer to themselves as, uh, as an apostle, uh, as, and they use that as a title, as their office in the church. And so we could talk about all of the details of those gifts, but again, it would be missing the point. The point is, at least for this message, the point is that God has given to each of us a gift of some kind, but He doesn't give any one of us all of the gifts. And what we need to do is to figure out, first of all, the purpose of these gifts, whatever they are. You know, and, and that's for God to decide. 
It's not for me to decide, you know, Lord, I, I got saved last week and now I've decided I want this gift or I want that gift. That, that's for God to decide what gift He's going to give me. And that's all about His business. But it's crucial that I understand the purpose of my gift. And, and, and the same thing's true of every single one. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, and here's one of those chapters where we would need several hours, actually, to study this chapter, and we've got to look at just bits and pieces in order to, to get across some things. And the first thing I want you to see as to the purpose of our gifts is that they are to reveal God's presence in the church. Notice in verse number 7, and remember, and I'm sure most of you know, that this entire chapter has to do with the church being likened unto a body. Uh, and, and, of course, there are several different words used to describe the church. It's likened unto a building, for example, uh, God's temple here on earth. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, but he dwells in the temple of his church. It's likened unto the bride of Christ. But in this case, the church is likened unto a body. Now, verse 7. But the manifestations of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another a prophecy and the discerning the spirits, uh, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But all of these worketh that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all of the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, whatever you think about a body, uh, naturally you think about the visible manifestation of the person. You look up here tonight and you say, well, there's Brother Stone standing up there. Well, yes and no. I mean, you're, you're looking at my body. The real me is inside this body. And one of these days, I'm going to move out of this body and you can do with it whatever you want to do with it. It won't make any difference then. But the real me will exist even after this body has returned to dust. But this body is a manifestation of the person that is within. And whenever we think about the body of Christ, we're talking about a visible representation of the Lord Jesus Christ, His body. In other words, it is, a, it is something that reveals to us the presence of the Lord. It also reminds us that we need one another. Turn over to Romans chapter number 12 for just a moment. Romans chapter number 12, and we'll begin reading in verse number 3. Now, for many of you, you could quote verses 1 and 2. He talks there about us presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable thing to do, of course, and be not conformed to this world and so forth. But notice the reason why, and notice the connection here to the church. Because there's a lot of people have the idea, well, I've really committed my ways unto the Lord. I've dedicated myself to God, but I'm really not that interested in the church. Well, that's impossible. 
because here it's showing us what it means to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of, uh, of faith or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering or he that teacheth on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And so here in these verses, we see that a reminder that we need one another. In the first place, I said, that the church body is to reveal the presence of the Lord to God's people. We can rest assured that when we meet together, He's going to be with us. Why? Well, this is His body. It is a manifestation of His presence. But here we're reminded that we're all interconnected. You know, we're part of the same spiritual family and we are joined together. And keep in mind, please, when we talk about the body being the Lord's church, we're not talking about some universal invisible body like the Protestants do. We're talking about a local visible church. That word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. It means a called out assembly. And all you have to do as you read, for example, 1 Corinthians, just go back to the very first chapter and at the very beginning, he tells us that he is writing to the church at Corinth. Or you go to the book of Ephesus, same thing. So he's not writing to Christians all over the world. He is addressing these letters to a particular congregation. And so we're not talking about being a part of this universal, invisible church body. We're talking about as members of the body, we are members of that particular congregation, that particular body. For example, I'm a member of this church. I'm not a member of any other church anywhere on this earth. I have, if they're voting on a matter, I don't have a right to go in and say, hey, wait a minute. I'm a part of the universal invisible body of Christ. I'm a part of the Lord's church. I have a right to cast my vote in, in regards to this business. No, I don't. And not only that, each church has the, the authority and the responsibility to discipline members. But we have no authority or responsibility to discipline Christians in general. You, you, can't, you can't pick out some Christian out here that's doing things they shouldn't be doing and say, let's just assume they're a member of First Baptist Church or whatever it might be. That's just an example. Don't go away <laughs> making something out of that. And we don't have the right to go down there and say, you know, you all need to vote this person out of the church, you know. That, that's none of our business. That person is a member of that church, not this church. But the point being that as members of this church, we need one another. And that's what Paul is writing about here in his letter to the Romans, that we are members one of another. 
Now, there's something else that goes along with that. In addition to revealing God's presence in the church, in addition to reminding us how much we need each other, it also enables us to retain unity in the church by understanding our purpose in God's plan, the use of our gift. It enables us to retain unity in the church. Go back to Ephesians chapter number 4 where we started and look at verse number 12 again. It says that these gifts were given to the church. And he talks about the offices there in verse 11. But notice verse 12, for, this is the reason, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 and verse number 11. And here we see this clearly expressed. It says, But all of these, all of these worketh that one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one, and have many members, and all of the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all, uh, all made to drink into that one Spirit." So there, and, and, and as you know, there, uh, the, the number of verses go on and on and on addressing the matter of unity in the church. Uh, you, you know, as, as my body acts, whatever it is that it's doing, it has to act in conjunction with what the other members do. For example, if I want to go back there and, uh, I don't know what that white piece of paper is back there something if i decide i want that you know i can reach all i want i can get on my knees and i can pray and i can beg and i can plead and i can cry but there's no way that i can ever get to that object unless my feet cooperate with my mind and take me back there and whenever we think about the church we need to remember that God has gifted each one of us in some way and the effectiveness of our ministry, whatever it is, depends greatly upon there being unity in the church. If we're divided, we are going to be defeated. Amen? I mean, there's no way we can function properly. That's like, you know, saying, well, we've decided we're going to get up a football team and... Uh, and uh, Play, play against the Texans. And so we've got 11 guys. And you just go out here and get the 11 biggest guys that you can find and, and uh, give them a uniform and say, okay, there's the field and there's the football. And all we need for a football team is 11 guys. Go out there and do your thing, boys. And you send them out there, they, they have no idea what's going on. There is a disconnect. They, they, there's no organization. There's no unity. Probably everybody's going to say, I want to be quarterback. I, 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 he's, quarter, he's the quarterback last time. I want to be the quarterback. Well, everybody can't be the quarterback. 
Somebody's got to be the quarterback. Somebody's got to be the running back. Somebody's got to get up on the line and block and so forth. And so it takes the cooperation of the whole team to have an effective team. And the same thing is true in the church. We, we, uh, and by the way, of all people on the face of the earth that ought to be able to get along with one another, you'd think it'd be Christians. Amen. I mean, if we truly love one another, uh, that, that, by the way, that doesn't mean we always agree with one another, but it means that we put the greater cause ahead of our own desires and what have you, that we're more interested in the welfare of the church than we are in getting our way about some issue in the church. So it's important how we use our gifts so as to retain unity in the church. But nothing is more important than the next thing I'm going to mention, and that is the fact that it reflects Christ to unbelievers. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. And I wish I had time to really deal more thoroughly with this, but I, I, I'll try to wrap it up the best I can. We're going to start in verse 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. Let me stop right there for a minute because I know there's some people already wondering about that. Well, you know, what about the tongues gift? Well, the tongues gift had to do with speaking other languages not naturally acquired. God enabling people, His people, to speak in other languages. And the purpose, now notice what He says here, and this is important that you get this. Tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe. Whoa, wait a minute. I mean, right there, you've already come at, uh, into a conflict with the charismatic movement because they tell you that it is a sign amongst themselves of somebody being filled with the Spirit or, or as they might say, baptized in the mighty Holy Ghost. And uh, it's a sign for that. No, it's not. It is a sign to unbelievers. Now, there's a lot of stuff here in this chapter we could talk about. But understand, if there are no unbelievers present there, are you with me? There would never be any scriptural justification for someone exercising that gift. It is a sign to unbelievers. Now, Tongues are for a sign to them that, 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 uh, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not, but prophesying. And that was back when the gift of prophecy existed. That was back in the days the prophet did not have to study the Word of God as we do today in order to get a message because he was given a message by God by divine inspiration. And by the way, whenever he was speaking, it was without air. Now, Brother Preston and I, we make some mistakes once in a while. You know, we're well-meaning, but we might be a slip of the tongue and we'll say something wrong, misquote a verse. Well, when the prophets spoke under divine inspiration, they spoke nothing but the truth. It was God speaking through them. And so here he's talking about those that prophesy. Prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. It's a way of communicating with the church. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues. I don't know about you, but I've witnessed that where in a, in a so-called church meeting and there would be people, I, I'm talking about 
oodles and gobs. If you've ever, and I hope you have, haven't ever watched Benny Hinn, and you shouldn't, I don't think even his education, but you'll see what I'm talking about. During their meetings, there'd be people all over the place jabbering in what they call an unknown tongue. They, they Sometimes they refer to it as their angelic language. Well, the Bible doesn't know anything about such as that. The Bible is always talking about a language that others could understand, but it was a language not naturally acquired, something supernaturally given to them. And so here he's talking about exercising these gifts now. Where was I? All speak with tongues. Somebody to notice here, the church is gathered. This was back before the completion of the Bible. And he's talking about how they would or should function in that day. And he said, and all speak with tongues. And there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say that ye are mad? Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody say, yeah, I went to, you know, I went down to the first church of Jerusalem the other day, and I'll tell you what, I'm not going back. Those people are crazy down there. Uh, I, I'm not going to go back. They were all jabbering in some unknown tongue or what have you. And, 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 and by the way, he goes on in this same chapter. I might as well throw this in. They were to speak by course, not never, never, never running over each other, but by course, one after the other after the other. And oh yeah, by the way, the women were not allowed to speak. Oh, well, we kind of forgot about that one. Because by their own admission, their own confession, I've read it, I've heard it, they will admit in the charismatic churches that the majority of the tongues speaking in their churches are done by women rather than men. Well, that... That kind of goes against what the Bible teaches here. And so Paul is saying, whenever you, whenever, and, and remember, this is a church to where he said in the very first chapter that you come behind in no gift. That is to say that they possessed all of the spiritual gifts. Somebody in that church could do this. Somebody in the church could do that. They possessed all of the gifts, but they're misusing those gifts. Verse 24, but if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one that is unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. Now here's the part I want you to notice. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Hey, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about exercising our gifts so as to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ to unbelievers. Now, we could sum it all up and we go back to chapter 4 of Ephesians if, if we wanted to and talk about the fact that through the ministry of our gifts, the church is edified, that it is built up. And we're not talking about numerics here. We're talking about spiritual growth, spiritual development. The church is edified. Let me say this. It is edified, first of all, individually. The individual members are edified because here we are working together exercising our spiritual gifts, whatever they are, and that has a way of building up and strengthening and helping the individual members come to spiritual maturity. And that, in turn, helps the church to be edified. 
The church is strengthened as a result of that. You see, our gift is never to entertain other people. And it's never to exalt ourselves. We receive in order to give, not to get. So whatever gift you have, God gave it to you so that you could use it for what we've been talking about. Not so you can get something out of it. In other words, like God said to Abraham, you've been blessed to bless. And that's the way it is in us receiving our gifts, whatever they are. Thank God for those that are, you know, that possess different gifts. We couldn't function properly if everybody had the same gift. And you've heard me say, what if we all had the gift of playing musical instruments? So everybody come in, they walk across the platform and play some musical instrument. And, you know, people could go away saying, wow, I'll tell you what, that Lakeway Baptist Church, they have the most musically talented church that I've ever seen in my life. Everybody can play something, but nobody sings anything. They can't sing, nobody preaches, nobody does anything. So it takes us all working together in a united effort for the church to be edified. God saved us, God gifted us, and, and, and believe me when I say that in this church, in every church, there's always those members that are doing nothing, but there is never a member who has nothing to do. Because regardless of who you are or what your gift is, your gift is needed. And that's why understanding your place in the body of Christ is crucial. It's crucial because you need to understand, now listen carefully, you need to understand how important you are. Now, when I say how important you are, I'm not talking about how important you are in the sense of being a somebody in this world. I'm talking about how important you are and your gift is to the church. And that's why we need to exercise our gift. That's why you need to understand the importance of your gift, how important you are. But not only that, you need to also understand this in order to realize how important others are. Because if we're not careful, all we think about is how important we are to the church. And we forget about the fact we're not the only member in the church. You are important to the church, but so is every other member in the church. We could make it our motto, I think, to say that, that in this church, everybody is somebody. Because we're all part of the body. Everybody is somebody. There are no big eyes and little U's. And it's that kind of thinking that leads to fractured fellowships in the church. Those divisions that keep us from, from ever, ever reaching our God-given goal. Now, let me wrap all of this up and I'm through. In light of everything that I've said, as I sat down this afternoon... And, uh, and trying to put my final thoughts together in this matter. And there are four things that I jotted down that I want to leave with you. No member of this church should ever feel insignificant. You know, our nation is divided and it is so heartbreaking to see what's happened to our nation. I can remember as a little boy, and I still have the still have the pictures of me in a 
little army uniform. I mean, I wasn't that at all. I couldn't have been over two years old, three maybe. And well, Uncle Emery, I remember when Uncle Emery, he went to Korea and came back and decided to go back and re-enlisted and never came back again. But I can remember the patriotism back then. And boy, you talk about a united nation. And, uh, and it was. And since that time, we've seen our nation just uh, falling apart. Let me tell you one of the reasons. Here's one of the reasons is because we have in Washington, D.C., and I could say, and in Hollywood, and among the liberals, we have a bunch of elitists. That they, they think they know it all. The rest of us are just a bunch of dummies. We don't know how to function. We don't know how to live. We don't know what we ought to do. And we need them to take us by the hand and guide us and to make the rules for us. That's why so many of them hate democracy. They hate a republic. You know, where everybody, you know, we get, we get a vote, we get to decide, and we get to choose our representatives and so forth. They would much rather just, just go to a dictator as long as they can be on the, on the throne. That's their mindset. Now, I said all of that for a reason, because just as that can happen in a nation, that can happen in churches. And believe me, I know from experience I've been in, and, and so many times it used to, it, it seemed like so many of the, the little country churches. Now, you've got to remember, those churches most of the time were established by some family or two or three families. In other words, and it, was, it was made up of those families. They ruled the roost. No, 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 anybody else come? Oh, they were free to attend. They were free to even join. But I'll guarantee you, you'd never become a deacon in that church. You'd never teach a Sunday school class in that church. You'd never, they'd never allow you to get in a position to where you could challenge their authority in their mind. Now, they wouldn't say this, but by their actions, it was the truth. In their mind, they were the only ones in that church spiritual enough to know how to run the church. And for the rest of you, just come and sing in the choir and give your tithe and keep your mouth shut and we'll get along fine. And that's kind of the way they operated. And look, let me tell you, churches cannot function that way. We've got to realize that everybody is somebody. We need every single member and we need for them to exercise their gift to put it to use. No member should ever feel insignificant, nor should any Christian ever feel independent from the church. And I don't have time to develop all of these thoughts, but that, that's happened so many times. Uh, somebody make a profession of faith that might be a, you know, might be a, an, an entertainer like Pat Boone did years ago. And, and I, I don't know whether he was saved or not. I don't know, but I know that, that it was a time whenever people were in rebellion against what they called established religion. Oh, I love the Lord, but I don't want anything to do with the church. There's a bunch of hypocrites down there. I don't want anything to do with the church. So they didn't recognize the church as having any authority whatsoever. They just sidetracked the church. They'd go out and do their own thing instead of working under the leadership of 
of the Lord's church. It's kind of like I've said, you know, anybody can print money, but only the government has the authority to do so. And whenever it comes to the Lord's work, the church is the only institution on the face of the earth that's been authorized to do the Lord's work. Nobody else has that authority. So we should never think of ourselves as being independent from the church. And we certainly should never be indifferent to the church. How thankful we ought to be for members that are deeply concerned about the church to the extent that they are willing to devote themselves to exercising their gifts in a way that's profitable for the church. One last thing, and, 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 and we can talk about this for quite a while. We should never think of ourselves as being indispensable to the church. I'll never forget years ago whenever, uh, whenever the Lord laid it on my heart. Uh, it's, it's hard to understand what must be going through Bev's mind. You know, her family, my family, they were all there in Missouri. And, and uh, all of a sudden, here's a little church over there in Tennessee calling me to be the pastor. And, uh, boy, she has never one time ever tried to buck my authority as a, as a husband and as a, as a pastor of a church and say, well, you can go if you want to, but I'm not going. She's always been right there packing the bags and ready to go, and I know that must have been difficult for her. But anyway, we decided to leave this church. It's a church that we had started, I mean from the ground up. Some of you heard me talk about starting a church with a brush arbor. That's all we had. We had met a time or two in our home. Then we got a little old building. I mean, it was... 10 or 12 feet wide and 30 foot long maybe. It was a little side room to a floral shop. And that's all we had. And we got that thing packed out. And in just a little while, well, we bought a piece of property. We didn't have any money, didn't have any building, just a piece of property. And I'm talking about on a hillside. If you, This is the Ozarks, remember? It's kind of like down there in the Smoky Mountains where you know, oh, I sell you a piece of property, and the, you know, you, you don't know you got about 50 feet that might be kind of flat, and then the rest of it's all uphill. Well, we started clearing that off, and and finally, finally, build a brush arbor, and we held services down there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Met down in the brush arbor, pray it wouldn't rain. It's all we had. Finally, put together a little concrete block building. Well, five years went by, and. Uh, I can't even tell you how many souls were saved and the church grew and prospered and all of a sudden the Lord, I, you know, I, I, I want you to go to Tennessee. Tell your wife and kids, you know, pack their bags, we're, go, we're going to Tennessee. I, I, I really struggle with the thought, well, what is going to happen to this church? Now, in the first place, it really wasn't any of my business but since I had been responsible as the pastor there and starting that church looking out for its welfare, I wondered how in the world is this church ever going to survive? Let me tell you something. As important as you are to the church, remember God's in the bodybuilding business. He sets members in the church and don't ever think He can't take members out of the church. 
He can take me out. He can take you out. And I've got news for you. His church, when he makes a decision for us, whether it's by death or whether he is going to move us down the road somewhere else, let me tell you, he's going to take care of his church. It'll be just fine. Let none of us ever think that we are indispensable, that God can't do without us. He did just fine before you and I were born, and He'll still be in business when you and I are gone. So as we go through these, these lessons the next few weeks, pray for your teachers, and, and, and especially be there. Be in the class. Get under the sound of God's Word and, and, and learn all you can about the, uh, the ministry of the Lord's church. Fair enough? All right, let's all stand. We're, we're going to have Tim come and musicians. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. It might be that, that there's something on your heart or a need in your life. It might be something that's a carryover from this morning. and I, I just don't know. It might have to do with you really dedicating yourself to the use of your gifts in this church. I, I don't know. And maybe you just want to come and pray. And, Nobody will interrupt you, but you need to do that.